Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. Still don't feel like I'm working hard enough. I've got that chip on my shoulder. I never feel like I'm doing enough. Um, But here we are yet again, deja vu all over again. I last saw you about seven minutes ago. Welcome to Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime. And of course, tonight, uh, sort of special STS coverage of the Michelle Traconis trial. And that is because today we're closing arguments and the jury went into deliberations late this afternoon. Um, Obviously, no verdict. Uh, expected at this hour, but we will be on it tomorrow all day. And the COE is making me put this up there. Uh, You may or may not know, we have a second channel now that covers just trials. It's called Best Trials in True Crime, even though this little logo says Best Guest, but that's that's because this is Best Guest. But the Best Trials channel will uh, be on Verdict Watch tomorrow, and we will bring it to you live uh, there when we get it and uh, seeing Belgium in the house, a truly global audience. So this trial, just to give you some perspective, today is February 27th. Uh, this began on January 11th. So it's been going on for weeks. Six regular juror, jurors, um, a little unusual. Usually it's a 12 panel jury and a bunch of the alternates. They started with five. Three of them got uh eliminated so there's six regular jurors left and uh two alternates remain um jurors did hear seven weeks of evidence and uh a first time best guest here who's friends with a friend of the coe's and mine shout out to jen bernstein um jim bergen handles complex criminal and civil litigation uh for the law firm shipman and goodwin handles uh white collar crime and government investigations personal injury and uh, wrongful death cases, tapping into his 40 years of experience as a trial attorney, and he will give us uh, some great insight uh, into all of this. Ryan McQuiggan uh, may or may not be joining us. Uh, He is also a criminal trial lawyer, and I'll leave the COE to uh, bring him in. Then we've got bottom left corner, Lisa Daddio, love the name, retired police lieutenant out of the New Haven Police Department uh, in Connecticut, not too far from Hartford. Uh, She spent approximately 16 years in the detective division. And since retiring back in 2012, uh, she works in higher education. She's with the University of New Haven. Same story with Bobby McDonald, bottom right corner. Uh, He was both a state of Connecticut and United States probation officer, and he spent over 20 years with the Secret Service. That is the United States Secret Service. His duties included presidential, vice presidential and dignitary protection divisions in Washington, D.C. And then he went to work for a little sports league called the NBA. And now he is uh, teaching Uh, Jim to you. uh, First off. How common or uncommon? I know at the beginning of this trial, day one, we were all flabbergasted. There was no opening statements. And then we found out in Connecticut, no opening statements. Everyone thought it was really odd, except for the people in Connecticut. So uh, that's par for the course. But what about a uh, six-panel jury? Is that also um, fairly common? It's all there ever is, except for murders. and, And conspiracy to commit murder apparently doesn't earn it. Uh, so we only have six. We usually pack in a few alternates, 
uh, depending on the length. And here, as you know, we, we did go through a few, but we still had uh, one or two left. <clears throat> but that's common. And the, and the idea of opening statements, it's awful that you can't do it. I have begged, occasionally been able to get it, and I have been able to get it in uh, federal trials, because if you don't do it, it's just a disservice to the jury. You, people want to know what's going to happen. I had an eight-month, six-month trial, uh, Wells Fargo case a million years ago, and the judge gave us 10 minutes. That's all we needed. 10 minutes is enough to frame a case. Mm. Yeah, in, in uh, TV news, a story is a minute and 30 seconds. I'm not saying I could do opening statements, but you don't necessarily need an hour and a half. But uh, I felt the same way. I felt like the jury was um, going to be perplexed. Uh, I am not the smartest or, or brightest bulb in the box. And to just be thrown into a story literally midstream, uh, it was tough. And I'm, I'm wondering how tough it was for the jurors to connect um, all the dots. Look at this. Patriotiac. Am I saying that right? Lisa Daddio is a living legend. Lisa, who is this person? <laughs> I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure you're not paying family members. Um, Lisa, on a serious note, you know, this is a big trial because Otis Dulos uh, is now infamous and Jennifer Farber Dulos, the victim, a uh, very beloved, beautiful woman, her life cut short. Um, how big a deal, and I asked Bobby this last time, in the state of Connecticut, how big this trial been? It's huge. Um, since this case actually happened, it, it's everybody talks about it. Um, you know, Connecticut is a small state, and so when we have crimes like this, and we've had a few, unfortunately, <laughs> over the years, um, the Cheshire home invasion, you know, where uh, three women were brutally murdered and, and, and raped, um, definitely was another one of those really high profile cases and this because it's a no body case, right? So unfortunately, Jennifer's body has not been found yet. Um, and so I think that helped and it's intriguing. You know, you have the soon to be ex-husband. They're both very wealthy. You have this girlfriend, uh, fiance, possibly, um, that is all involved in this and like this kind of, it's not a love triangle, but it's definitely something that people are intrigued by um, throughout the country, not just here in Connecticut. I mean, I have students that were talking about this case and, and they live on the West Coast. Hmm. So, yeah, yeah. We have people here literally from Australia, the UK, all around the world who are uh, interested in it. Uh, this is an interesting comment, Joel and COE, this podcast is outstanding. Thank you. It's not why I brought it up. Suggestion, interview people who had family who were Nazis in the guilt and anguish, deep sorrow. Prior to being true crime, you know, this originated. The reason it's called Surviving the Survivor is my mother is a Holocaust survivor. And I was saying on the last episode, uh, she was just speaking to eighth graders today. And uh, someone pitched to us when we were doing our original show, which was once a week, and we didn't take it very seriously, uh, that there was this couple. They weren't married, but they were going around on a book tour throughout the UK and she was the child of a survivor and he was the child of a Nazi. And um, let's put it this way. Uh, it didn't go very well for the child of the survivor. My mother um, didn't, she didn't, it, the interview didn't go very well for them. And uh, you can find out why it's somewhere in the archives. Maybe we will repost it. 
uh, Carmela felt uh, that instead of uh, preaching, they were going to synagogues to talk, that they needed to be out talking to uh, different sorts of people. And uh, when Carm lets loose, uh, she can give you an earful. And it was one of those moments I had to like claw her off these two people. So that's a whole other story. But um, Bobby McDonald, um, this is one of these cases. Um, and I'm going to, um, you know, get back to Jim about this, where um, it really you don't know that you're going to get a conviction across all counts here. Do you think there is uh, extra tension in the air as a result of this right now? Well, you know, I agree with uh, what Lisa said. You know, there's a lot to chew on here and a lot of different areas uh, that have been brought into the courtroom in this case, but with, you know, a little bit of cloudiness along the way, which is, you know, what obviously the defense wants here. So it'll be interesting to see how the jurors uh, in reviewing the evidence that I understand was loaded into their jury room or in preparation with boxes and boxes of stuff. Uh, we'll sift through, I think we were at what, 29 or 30 days of trial, something like that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff to chew on here. So, you know, has the state proven beyond a reasonable doubt their case? That's the bottom line of our system here. Uh, that's what the prosecutors are required to do. And the defense is required to muddy the waters with respect to that. So, you know, there's like I said, there's been a lot to chew on here. And it'll be interesting to see when uh, it all kind of filters down to see what the bottom line is here. And, and again, how long it's going to take, you know, is it going to be something quick? Are they going to uh, latch onto something and run with it, or is it going to take a little, uh, a little bit of time? It's, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, shout out to Dwayne Harris, always generous in the great city of Detroit, Michigan, as I like to see. And uh, Shaquille O'Meal, first trial I've seen with no opening, but not for Jim. He's seen plenty uh, without openings. Speaking of openings, today we're closing arguments. We'll get to those in a minute, but after closing arguments. Um, by the way, Judge Kevin Randolph, uh, he's got the voice of God. A lot of people think he sounds like Morgan Freeman. Um, but I'm just wondering, he he has to deliver jury instructions, Jim. How careful does a judge have to be in delivering those instructions? What's the process? Uh, just explain that to all of us. Well, the process, which he already followed, for the first time in the history of Connecticut, he actually allowed television to watch the arguments of the lawyers to help him construct the final charge. Ultimately, the judge is totally in charge, writes anything the judge wants to do. Their main concern, of course, it's justice, but frankly, they don't like to get reversed. So they work really hard to get out of each of the lawyers every single thought they've got so they can make sure they've covered everything so they don't get reversed. Here, this judge has really been remarkable. I mean, he's so calm. Uh, he lets his opinions out very, very miserly. He doesn't really want to step on anything, but he is trying to keep the quorum. Uh, and so here he just went through 50 minutes, but even better than having this recorded on TV so that everybody can see what actually happens. The jurors each got their own copy of the instructions while he was reading it which is great. I mean, I've had a couple of those, but for decades, that just was not, not done. You know, judges love to have complete control, even though we say it's all about the jury. Well, now we're doing it more all about the jury. Yeah. And Jim, uh, someone wants to know if trials are generally uh, televised in the state of Connecticut. No, there are exceptions, but each of those exceptions uh, are sort of well-known. You know, we had a big 
a televised trial back uh, in Western Connecticut some long time ago where they were investigating <clears throat> somebody who was friendly with the state police, which was weird. Um, and I actually was hired uh, as a special prosecutor to investigate the state police in that case. And it was so odd because every, you could see everything that happened during the trial, even though, you know, that happened before I was uh, retained uh, by the governor. So it's just, I can't even think of how many there have been. It's just, just very rare. And I thought it was interesting and gutsy on the part of this judge, because the judge is very low key. Yeah, very. Oh, by the way, um, that judge actually has a master's in communication from Syracuse, which he okay. got in the beginning of, and, and he actually did some business lobbying. He's the most laid back guy, but he has stuffed his life and his brain with a lot of experience and still comes across authentically humble. He's a really humble guy. Yeah. Uh, Jen Jansen, Jennifer Jansen uh, in the chat says, good point. Judge is commanding. Yes, he is. Uh, now we find out why. Lisa Daddio is a living legend because of her incredible work on the Annie Lay case at Yale. Such a sad case. If you didn't see it, we do a show called Surviving My Biggest Case. And Lisa Daddio was on it talking about Annie Lay and how they uh, discovered this gruesome murder and uh, had uh, – you know, and how they took the steps to solve the case. So kudos to Lisa for that. Um, Lisa, to you, um, the, the the lead investigator in this case, John Kimball, formerly the Connecticut State Police, he was mm -hmm. a detective. He tweeted out a couple of times today um, and he was in there. And by the way, um, from what I understand, Jennifer Farber Dulos's mother was in there along with the children today. So that is a very poignant moment. But this is the lead uh, detective on the case. He tweeted out, please keep Jennifer and her loved ones in your hearts today. Justice for Jennifer. Hashtag uh, Michelle Traconis. Um, what is that? What kind of statement is that when you've got the lead investigator who is tweeting and showing up in court? He really wants justice in this case, doesn't he? He does. And, you know, social media is a funny thing. Um, it's obviously very much part of our lives now where 10 years ago, you know, um, when you broke, you, you know, you brought up the Annie Lay case, it wasn't. So we and, and we weren't we wouldn't be tweeting, um, you know, that case played out. So we didn't have a trial, which probably could have been televised as well because that case also got a lot of attention. So, you know, we live in a different world. Um, I'm old school. I, I wouldn't be tweeting until after, if at all, uh, the conviction came in. Um, but I, I can tell you that in order for an arrest to be made, especially something like this case, they, everybody involved in it, believe that, you know, she's guilty. Um, or else you're not going to make an arrest in a case like this and the evidence. And it's a tough case. You don't have a body, which, you know, really makes for really complicated cases. And there's so many twists and turn for those of you that have watched this trial from the beginning. Um, it's tough. And Michelle Traconis is the only one currently um, that can be found at least at fault for some of it because mm -hmm. photos have killed himself. Yeah. Uh, here's the sad photo of uh, beautiful Jennifer Farber Dulos and five kids who are now orphaned, uh, been orphaned for a little while. And as I understand it, we're there with Jennifer's uh, mother. So um, I think it goes without saying that everyone 
who's part of STS Nation. Uh, we are sending our love to the Farber uh, family tonight, and this is uh, the difficult part. But Bobby, um, you know, you've had to testify in a court of law. Uh, what do you think it is like tonight for the family, um, for both families? Um, you've got, obviously, Jennifer Farber's family, and then you've got the Draconis family. What do you think that tension is like as they are awaiting the jury's decision? Well, I'm sure they're all on, on pins and needles. Both sides of the aisle are are, 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 both, are basically victims here. You know, it's to piggyback on what Lisa just said. You know, we've really focused on victims uh, and their rights in the courtroom and their rights in the process. Maybe the last 30, 35 years before that, you know, they were a part of the process, but an mm -hmm. often forgotten part of the process. You know, they weren't. Uh, informed of court dates and they weren't informed of restitution that would have to be provided. And we, they were really a, a forgotten entity in the whole process. And I, I really think we've done a pretty good job with our victims advocates in the courts, uh, in our, with our victims advocates in the federal U.S. attorney's office and things like that to make sure that our, our victims uh, are, are informed and are, are watched over during these process. Look, that's why a lot of us are out trying to solve cases every day is so that we don't forget the victims. That's why we have people working cold cases that are curious and passionate about going out and not forgetting what happened and, and the forgotten people who uh, haven't gotten closure or haven't gotten a, a resolution on their case. So it's a very, very important part of the process now. And it, it's it's kind of refreshing to see the investigator. Uh, I'm not a big social media guy, but it's 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 nice to see somebody out there to say, hey, let's remember what we're doing here and, and why we're out here doing it. Bobby, I knew you were smart, not a big social media guy. Tell that to my wife. Can't get her to talk to me at I'm, night. Doesn't talk I'm, to me. I'm, I'm ancient. I'm ancient. That's my problem. Yeah. The COE doesn't, she ignores me. She doesn't talk to me. I told her the other <laughs> night. I'm like, I'm over here, over here. Uh, anyway, uh, Jerry Michael says, uh, Jim, Jim, I'm going to come to you for a thousand things. You're the only lawyer, so you're in trouble. So I'm going to go back to Lisa on this one. Uh, do you think the judge thoroughly explained everything? You do see him explaining quite a bit because of the cameras for teaching purposes. Um, did, he, did he have to be on his best behavior? Not that he's not normally Kevin Randolph, the honorable Kevin Randolph. But what do you think the cameras did uh, since the state of Connecticut is not used to having them inside the courtroom? Well, first of all, that's his personality. Um, I knew him, you know, 30 years ago. We lived in the same town, and he was the most humble person. You would never have imagined him getting himself into this incredibly high-profile situation because how he comports himself is just how he is in the ordinary course. He just thinks, and he is selfless. It's a, a very interesting guy. I, I would never have guessed it. So the answer to the question is, Yes, uh, teach, uh, but he does that everywhere. He just likes being thoughtful. He likes explaining things, and I thought he did a remarkable job. Yeah, By the way, I wanted to add one thing to the comments that Bobby made, which is that in Connecticut, because I spent a lot of time representing victims, uh, it's constitutional. There's not many states that have it that it's baked into the Constitution, that victims have a right to be heard at every key aspect of the prosecution of a case. And uh, and sometimes it's very important. I, I get to go in frequently when they have uh, the, the negotiation sessions uh, where victims advocates typically aren't. But when I'm a lawyer representing the person, they usually just let me in because they know it's going to help get things done. But honestly, it's 
it makes a huge difference. A lot of things can happen and just they never know. Uh, this is an interesting point from Annie Kay, who always has great questions. Michelle Traconis, Lisa Daddio, showed her face for the first time today. She has been hiding it um, quite a bit and kind of playing with her hair here and there. Um, is that to make eye contact with the jury or trying to read them? Do you think that uh, on a day like today, um, she was trying to show them uh, the human side and maybe maybe it's too late. Maybe she should have been doing it more. But uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, you said it, Joel. Uh, I think it's too late. I, I watched several pieces of this and I thought I found her very cold and kind of um, detached. And if I, I don't know if, if it was ever me, which it never would be, I would want to make a connection to the jury. And she did not um, at all. I mean, she was kind of standoffish. And I think in the end, like she, to me, she showed no empathy. She showed no anything. She um, looked very cold, um, which has been her, the way she's been throughout the entire thing. So that's nothing new. Um, I, I give Jennifer's families, uh, family and friends and children a lot of credit. That can't be easy, um, what they've been going through on the days they have been attending the trial. Um, and, and right now it's every part of their life and everybody's watching it. So it's just, it, it's horrible for them. Yeah. And to that point, Bobby, uh, the kids, that's what got me because they're young children. Um, I mean, there's no way it's a dumb question. What do you think the kids are going through? But I'll ask it anyway. I mean, they're so young. Um, their lives, I don't want to say they're forever destroyed, but it's certainly going to be far from a normal life for them. Um, how do you think? I mean, they're the biggest victims, obviously, aside from uh, Jennifer Farber, but arguably they're even bigger victims because they've got to go on without parents now. Um, how do you feel for them? Yeah, I'm going to go back to something Lisa said earlier. The state of Connecticut is a small place. Um, and, and you know, people are going to know about this. Kids that they're going to school are going to know about this. Their teachers are going to know about this. Their soccer coach is going to know about this. Mm -hmm. They're always going to be those kids over there. Those are the ones. And that's something that, again, maybe over time is going to, is going to slow down a little bit. But, but for the near future, um, I think that that's going to be, you know, the talk of the town and they're going to be the, um, you know, the they're they're, they're going to be in everybody's sights. And, and hopefully the community, the family, friends around them will reach out, embrace them uh, and can you continue to help them grieve, continue to help them, you know, figure all this out. Uh, I'm not sure you can figure it out. I'm not sure an adult can figure it out, quite frankly, but hopefully the community will rally around them and family and, and help them get through this and certainly never forget, but try to move on and, and try to put it a little bit behind them. Yeah. Uh, Delta Foxtrot, uh, this could be, this, this always blows me away because Donna Adelson um, was arrested on body cam footage. We've been following her case very closely and there's literally a moment. And I know I always get yelled at because they're like, well, she killed her son-in-law, which that is what she's going to trial for. His, obviously his innocence was taken completely away but if you separate it for a moment she had one step <laughs> in her in a moment of life where she was free and the next she was handcuffed and she will likely never be free again same deal michelle traconis could get out and could get uh convicted very likely on lesser charges and we'll ask jim about that in a second but uh lisa daddio why is it that people don't in your world criminals people who do bad things, why don't they think about the consequences? Why? 
Oh, gosh, that's like the million dollar question, Joel. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, every day almost I'm scratching my head as something I, I read something that comes across that is horrific that happens in our country. And, and never mind outside of our country. That's a whole other uh, world. But um, I don't know. Um, it To me, it seems like it's getting worse. But then I remember we have social media, we have Twitter, we have Instagram, we have, and everything's immediate, right? So we're knowing about it a lot more. Um, I don't know how people do what they do. And, and some of the comments I've been reading also, if you see me looking down, because it's always interesting to see what people have to say. And I learn a lot too, from what they're saying. But you know, somebody posted like, I can never hurt another human being. You know, I don't know how people can do that hurt people and also hurt animals, right? And so it's like these two things that we're constantly <laughs> torn between and yet have to, I, I don't know how you go there. Um, I just, I can't wrap my head around it. And so, but yet it happens every single day. Somebody's murdered um, every single day. Ignore, so, ignore the comments that say Joel is a putz. Don't read those. Um, <laughs> Jim, the charge is here. Um, where'd my charges go? Conspiracy to commit murder, two yep. counts of conspiracy to tamper with physical evidence, two counts of tampering with physical evidence, and one count of second degree hindering prosecution. Obviously, uh, this conspiracy to commit murder uh, is the most serious. Um, if convicted on all these counts, how much time does she face? That's question number one. Well, theoretically, it's 60 years, but that's not realistic. In fact, when you have a substantive count and a conspiracy count, the way it actually works, almost always they meld into one. Uh, and so you got the 20 years for the conspiracy to commit murder. That's just sort of like the floor. I would suspect if they go across the board and, and find her guilty of everything, which I'm not right now putting my money on that, um, 20 years is probably the realistic uh, maximum, but theoretically it's 60. But if you just uh, link together the conspiracy and the substantive counts, it's probably the 20 plus the five for the uh, tampering charges and then plus, another, plus 10 for the hindering. But again, the hindering, if you're uh, somebody who's a conspiracy to commit murder, Everything you do is hindering. So, you know, you, you don't usually just get more time for that. So, you know, the real answer is probably 20 years. Mm. Uh, which is probably not enough. But, um, you know, this is this this is arguably an uphill battle um, for the state here uh, to get convicted on all these charges. Um, if, you know, you're a betting man and I don't know if you are, what what would what's your prediction for? Uh, the verdict here do you do you believe that she would be convicted on all counts or just some of these counts or none of them no i i don't think she's going to get convicted of the conspiracy to commit murder they really it was a very effective summation but most people everybody so far i've seen writing and even frankly all the guests here uh we're we're really showing incredible appropriate empathy for jennifer her surviving children and her mother as we should. But a trial of someone like Michelle Traconis is really not the best place to get that done because she had two full years of abundant experience with this guy. 
He is, in fact, maniacally, sociopathically dangerous. And we heard evidence in this case how he could turn on a dime. Remember that time he pushed the door open and he was having this real, you know, kind of angry physical encounter. He gets into the other side. He sees the babysitter, one of the kids, turns on a dime and suddenly he's nice. This is a very manipulative guy. And if you look at Michelle, her whole two years was this guy presenting himself to her like I'm the I'm, I love children. He's picking her because she's a, a family person. So the idea that she's going to now wrap her head around that everything I've been experiencing isn't true. She never looked at it the way every single person watching this right now looked at it. We looked at it after the police started from the exact opposite presumption. And so what we've really got here is that tension. So short answer. I don't think the murder, I think she's most vulnerable on the hindering. Really? Do you think it's possible? Um, so you think the conspiracy to commit murder is out? Uh, I mean, you don't think that they're going to convict on that? I don't think so. But honestly, when I watched uh, Manning's summation, she really put things together in such a strong, clever way. Yes. And I don't think defense really did what I just did in one minute. I just explained the perspective of Michelle. I would have spent the entire time just talking about her perspective. The two full years. He did, John brought up, I thought very well, the notion that most of us, when we have trusted friends, we just presume they're telling the truth. You don't imagine they're, you know, you don't imagine the worst ever. You can't, you can't function that way. So unfortunately, I think it's also true that because she doesn't know how to act here, she is reinforcing everybody's pre-existing presumption, which is not innocence. It's the opposite. It's because everybody's looking at this from the point of view of the police who started this. It's her. Hmm. Bobby, I think I may have asked you this last time, but there's sort of this you know, bloodthirst out there uh, for Michelle Traconis. Do you think it would be different if Fotis Dulos did not unalive himself as he was awaiting trial back in 2020, do you think it'd be a different dynamic today? Uh, in other words, would the public writ large have gotten that kind of that out of their system? And now by default, since he's no longer here, they really want to see her go down. Yeah, I do. I, I think that the focus would have been uh, primarily on him. She would obviously have been a part of this, but I think uh, most of the information that would have been presented, most of the information that would be coming out in the newspaper or on TV, I think would have his name on it. And, and yes, she is probably part and parcel of this whole thing. But the fact that she's left here uh, holding the bag, I think we're shining the light on her pretty, uh, pretty brightly rather than if he was still with us. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I tend to agree with that. And Lisa, um, you know, do, do you agree um, with Jim that it's going to be tough to convict on all counts here and that maybe she's not going to get convicted? Um, this has got to be a tough deliberation here. Um, but what do you what do you what do you make of Jim's take? I agree. Um, as much as I would love to find her or for the jury to find her guilty on all accounts, I also know what they're tasked with. Right. And so it, it's not easy. Um, I don't feel compassion for her at all. Um, but that's also because I am very victim centered. So I feel for Michelle, her family, um, and the nanny and her friends and who've had to endure all this horrific everything. Um, 
if she's innocent, say where the body is. I mean, my God, give the family closure for Pete's sakes. Um, you know, this whole, oh, I didn't know what were in the bags, but we're stopping, you know, all these locations in Hartford to just, you know, to get rid of them. And and you're not asking him what are in the bags or what are you doing? And, you know, you're involved in building and and construction and doing all this other stuff. It's just a a weird thing for me to wrap my head around to, for her to kind of give the impression maybe that she's also a quasi victim. Um, other than the fact that he was a sociopath. Um, so, you know, I don't know. It, it's well, tough, but I do agree. I, I, I think they're not going to come back with uh, a conviction, a guilty on all charges. Jim, until, go ahead. Until this case, he had never once been violent. He had sold everybody everything. He had sold uh, Jennifer's dad. She, he had sold every. He's a great salesman. Mm-hmm. And so... The idea that you can't wrap your head around in, you know, how, why is she supposed to know things? Not one other person knew. Nobody knew. And then, of course, the police start reconstructing it with the retrospectacles. And when you do that, of course, it looks absurd. But you have to go back. If the jury is following the law, they have to go back. It's only about her brain. Nothing else in this case matters. It's her brain. The police did a really amazing, thorough job, crazy good job. And the mother deserves, and the surviving kids and the, you know, the mother of the, the victim, they deserve so much love and support. But that is a complete distraction. This was not about either of those things. This is about Michelle Traconis's brain. And if you only look and start from the proposition of, she, he never revealed anything like that to anybody and she's the last person of the four billion people on the planet who's going to reveal to her, hey, this woman that I selected and I presented myself as this family guy who loves children and all that, I actually just, you know, killed the mother of my five children. The idea that he would let out a molecule of actual belief of that, to me, is very hard to wrap my head around. Why would he do that? It's crazy. But I do understand how everybody feels because I start from the proposition of, protect victims first. But I also, as a lawyer, I have to believe in the law and the presumption of innocence in a case like this really does matter. Nobody who's watching this ever looked at this show from the whole two years she had and right up until the day day before where everybody's celebrating. I love the prosecution's argument. Ah, celebrating because they're going to get rid of her. Yeah, but does that really fit his relationship with her? during all that time by the way if you can't tell that jim is a trial lawyer now you can i believe everything this guy is saying i'm just buying full by the way though when i can correct a defense attorney i will you said four billion people on the planet i think it's closer to seven billion jim no, but i was already counting the first half oh, okay there you go look look how quick he is look how quick he is and these guys are amazing they are seasoned dwayne harris Again, donating five memberships. The guy is uh, way too generous. And I saw, I didn't see what, but I saw in the chat, uh, Dwayne, I hope you're okay. I just uh, saw um, little rumblings and maybe not everything's okay, but I hope you're all right and your family's okay. Um, Jim, back to you on this one. What is the potential sentence if it is only the hindering uh, charge that she's- Oh, it's a big, it's still a big one, 10 years. 10 years, wow. Yeah. Wow. And I don't think she's going to do uh, that well, Um, you know, five, 10 years. That's a long time to serve. 
Um, Bobby, I can't get over this. And I know I asked Lisa this, and I'm almost sure I asked you this last time, but um, with, with Fotis Dulos, it sounds like it, it could almost be like pathological or pathology, you know, something going on in that head of his. Uh, less so, I think, with Michelle Traconis, but bigger picture, why do people commit these crimes when you know you're going to sit your ass in state prison or you're going to have to unalive yourself because you don't want to do that? Why are people why don't people think of the consequences? Well, Lisa and I have a, a former colleague uh, that we worked with for a while that's a retired FBI agent. And I'll clean up his statement a little bit. <laughs> well, his statement is that all criminals have a sense of stupidity about them. And that's not to demean them as people. But it's to look at why they get involved in things. Why do they do things? Why does it keep people like Lisa, me and Jim in business? Uh, because we're always going to have those folks. Um, and, you know, this is all over the media. It's all over TV. It's all over the newspaper. You would hope that somebody sees this and, and sees uh, Jim explaining the uh, years that she's facing. And you might think it might come into somebody's head to say, yeah, gee, maybe I shouldn't do that as I'm about to do something. But it doesn't happen. Uh, people just get involved in whatever they get involved with. It doesn't always mean they're bad people. It means they find themselves in bad situations. But uh, there just is something out there that doesn't let people have that second thought or that third thought before they're going to get involved in some type of nefarious or violent activity. By the way, that hat over your right shoulder on the top shelf, is that a Bobby, like a British Bobby hat? That is a British Bobby hat. That's and is that, a, is that a real one? Yes, it is. It's from a presidential advance of George W. Bush to Sedgefield, England in uh, 2003. Wow, that's the cool stuff you get when you see I have to buy the the, the paper mache one in the gift shop and give it to my kid. And then I tell him it's real. Oh, that That is authentic. Wow. Look at that. I'll have to bring uh, my little son up there. He'll love it. Uh, he'll probably rip it apart. Um, This is an interesting question from Jerry Michael, and I'm going to throw it to Lisa. Uh, because I've got too many legal questions for Jim. But Lisa, do you think if if this played out and Fotis was going to trial, if she may have flipped on him and could have turned state's witness, this could have all been so different? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that that's always a possibility, uh, especially um, because a lot of uh, everything, right? He could have done the same thing to her. And, and I think I would hope the empathetic, compassionate side of her, because she's also a mother, um, she would have done the right thing. And so, um, yeah, it's tough, though, because, again, I don't I just I have a hard time with her. And usually I don't. Um, but there's something about her that just rubs me the wrong way regarding this whole thing. And I don't know. I, I don't know if it's just her personality, who she is who she's always been, that kind of cold standoffish, not showing any empathy or anything, um, has always taxed me from the very beginning of this case. Bobby, let me put you on the spot before I get back to Jim. How long do you think they're out deliberating for on this? Uh, Ooh, on this wow. That's a tough one. Because to <laughs> me, this could be a five-day deliberation. Um, I don't think it'll be that short. But watch, it'll come back tomorrow morning. It seems, I, like jury, seems like juries just don't deliberate as long as they used to. But what do you think? Well, as the three of us know, and not to speak for my two friends here, but you, you can never pinpoint this thing. You never know what's coming. <laughs> I don't think this is going to be as quick as we might think uh, or some people might think. I think it's going to uh, I think it's going to last uh, a good four or five days before anything comes back. Wow. Uh, Jim, do you agree? 
I, I what I most agree with is I have no clue. <laughs> it just doesn't feel like um, it does not feel like a open and shut uh, case a, at all. But um, John Schoenhorn, he's the defense attorney. What is his reputation, uh, Jim? Good he's attorney, very, thoughtful, very experienced. I've known him his whole career. He was actually involved in that Wells Fargo case I was talking about, $7.2 million robbery back in the early 80s, and it was prosecuted in the late 80s. And he actually was also involved in that case. My case went to trial. My guy was the only one who went to trial and was acquitted of all charges. But in that case, the reason I was able to acquit him is because they overcharged. They had not a, not a molecule of evidence that he was involved in a bank robbery. And then they hired my guy because he was some, you know, anthropology guy and he was into social stuff. And they gave away a bunch of money. And that was, oh, good for the help of Puerto Ricans. Oh, we'll give away money. There was no evidence, whatever, that he was involved, but they charged him with the murder. And that really opens up uh, the easy argument, ladies and gentlemen, you know there's no evidence. They know there's no evidence. And they're asking you to find contrary to your oath that he's guilty beyond a reasonable doubt keep that in mind for every other thing they did in this case and frankly i might have worked on that a little bit in this case i thought the worst evidence in this case was the language that pavel used but then and everybody here will remember that language they used it in their summation what schoenhorn failed to cover was the context where she only said it in the context of where that Jennifer wasn't going to let the kids grieve the dog, say goodbye to the dog. And she was just so angry. And they were talking about having to bury the dog. And so it was really just an expression of anger at that lack of compassion and kindness for her own children. That was the context. But, you know, Pavel, you know, he ran with it and, uh, and everybody else has, because it just it just establishes if you believe it, she meant it the way it sounded here. Of course, she's guilty. She wanted, you know, the barrier. But it was it was really a, a, a context problem. Well, that to me is one of the most damning, uh, you know, pieces of testimony from Pavel that that Michelle Tracona said bury the it rhymes with witch next to the dog. Uh, that Michelle Tracona said that about. Um, Jennifer Farber Dulos. Um, that's the kind of thing to me, Lisa Daddio, that a jury picks up on. I think, you know, this woman's got a bad bone in her body. Uh, do you agree? Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, the listeners and those that are watching agree as well, because I, I keep seeing it. Absolutely. It does. And that's something that you can't let go. You can't unhear that. Right. So it's something that's going to be there that she's going to say something like that. You know, what else is she capable of? You know, what other front or facade is she putting on um, that is the true um, Michelle Traconis? I don't think we've seen it. Uh, by the way, Jim, you are right. 8.1 billion people yeah. on the planet. You said you were only counting half the planet, so you are right. Um, here's some sound from uh, here's some sound from. Uh, John Schoenhorn, the defense attorney at today's closing arguments, courtesy of the COE. He thought she didn't know, then that's reasonable doubt right there. This trial is a tragedy, no question about it. It is a tragedy for many people, including people that are sitting here in this uh, audience, in this courtroom right now. 
But this case here is not about sympathy, and it's not about antipathy and revenge. There is only speculation and no facts. We are all sitting here in hindsight, deciding what happened after the fact, what one should have known versus did know. What we can do when Michelle, for example, Counselor, you've up, got one minute. Thank you. When Michelle picked up Fotis from the car wash, she didn't go in there. She had nothing to do with what Fotis Doulas planned to do with that vehicle on that occasion. Now, I don't get another opportunity. You may to speak. You may think that the state has a second bite of the apple. That's not fair, but it's important for you to understand the reason for this is they have the burden of proof on everything. We don't. So they do get to speak last, but I want you just to remember that they have a burden of proving beyond a reasonable doubt each element of each of the crimes the judge is going to read to you, and I ask that you reach the correct verdict, which is not guilty. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let me give you my first thought there. Um, by the way, Jim, STS aired this trial and watched every minute of us. Many of us may not like Michelle's character, how her attorney defended her case, but did uh, you see him present enough reasonable doubt. That is the question from uh, the COE right there. So she's taking over the show again. Uh, Jim? Yeah, well, it's interesting. He almost emphasized the opposite by saying what he said. When you say, well, but it's beyond a reasonable doubt, it's almost like you can see, well, it really happened. And um, I think that there were other ways, um, which I've already suggested here, uh, you know, to deal with this is just to get the jury to think of what's in Michelle's head the whole time she knew photos and to praise the police, not put himself on the other side of the police. He made the defense seem like it was fighting everything, whereas I really do believe photos is a, a, a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous person. And I don't think she had a clue her entire life has nothing that suggests, oh, I'd be interested in somebody like that. In fact, I think she was selected precisely because she was really a family person and he knows how to manipulate. So it's sad. It is, in fact, I see somebody comment, not the jury's job to get in the mind of Traconis. Mm. Exactly wrong. That is precisely the only legal issue in this case. It's a criminal trial of her and it is only a crime if her brain actually is seeing it and understanding it and decides to do it anyway. That's, in fact, I'm glad that person said that because that's the whole thing. But you didn't see that trial. You saw a trial that was trying to, and appropriately did, draw on the sympathy for Jennifer's surviving family and draw on your applause for the cops doing an amazing job. But the, what they started with was the opposite of what she started with. So if the, if your you know participant in the show thinks that it's not the job, obviously somebody didn't do their job. I think the judge tried to keep that on track throughout the trial, but we'll see. Yeah, uh, Schoenhorn gets a a bad rap for uh, objecting a lot. Is that his style, Jim? There's a lot of objections throughout the trial. Well, it's interesting. The the parts of the trial because I didn't watch every minute of the trial, but every Every time I saw him objecting, the judge was sustaining most of them. In fact, even during the summation, one objection. And the judge actually reprimanded the prosecutor for it. So 
you know, the perception is if everybody is cheerleading the conviction, the conviction, the conviction, any objection is offensive. Come on, we got a train to catch here. We're trying to drive it into the station. But in fact, most of the objections I saw, the only flaw I would see is a lot of that stuff is who cares? The cops are great. The family's great. That's not what this trial's about. Yeah. Uh, by the way, when I watch this, uh, for anyone who cares, which is pretty much nobody, including the COE, <laughs> um, my very first thought for some reason, number one, is uh, John is no Jim. That is for sure. He does not have, in my opinion, I, I don't know, there's like a likability factor. But Lisa, I was also thinking, would Michelle Traconis have benefited from a female defense attorney? There was something about him that as a juror, and I know you're supposed to be, you know, impartial, that maybe would rub me the wrong way. What do you think? Absolutely. Oh, well, oh I'm so sorry. Oh. <laughs> no, Lisa, go ahead. Jim just wants to be like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lisa, it's you. That's you. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Yeah, absolutely. I think she would have benefited um, from a female. And again, it goes back to the perception, the psychological side of it, um, people analyzing everything and, you know, if there's a female defense attorney that is standing alongside of her, um, I think it's a win-win. Um, Bobby, to you from Love My Sully Blue, not defending Michelle Traconis, but she never met Jennifer and only had Fotis Dulos feeding her information. Plus, Michelle Traconis reportedly was very jealous. I mean, jealousy can be a motive. What do you make of this comment? Um, she's kind of implying that since she didn't meet, she wouldn't have the motive to help with the murder but if she's jealous maybe that's not the case maybe she well, did I, have I think you may refer to that earlier in our program here with the you know the triangle aspect of this although not not officially a triangle but you know uh we all know people who are uh in other relationships now that are divorced and the cross-pollinization that goes on there with the kids and events and all those different things so yeah i'm i'm, I'm sure that that potentially could be part and parcel of what's going on here is it the whole the whole shooting match. I don't know about that, but I, I think it's obviously something that uh, from the optics of this, that it, it certainly is in the mix. So um, I did my, uh, my homework here and I kind of laid out the closing arguments on behalf of the defense and uh, Jim, I'll go to you on this. So John Schoenhorn basically begins whatever photos Dulos, and obviously I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but whatever photos Dulos role was, my client did not know that photos Dulos planned to harm her. It goes on, did not know Fotis was capable of doing something like this. The case is based on unfounded and unfair assumptions just because she was romantically linked to Fotis and then goes on, and I'll stop after this, that this isn't reality. It's more like cable scripted TV movies, that it's all conjecture. Um, I mean, he's he's making you know, powerful arguments in a vacuum, but do they hold up in light of the evidence, do you think? Well, some of what he said really does hit home. And a lot of what he said, I think, unfortunately for Michelle, created a distance between him and the jury to call all of the evidence that the prosecutor just finished going over a complete conjecture. It, there's, look, there's evidence, but the evidence doesn't really point to Michelle's head. I would have spent all my time dumping on photos, nothing but photos, because that's who messed her up. That's who messed this up. Uh, so there's plenty of evidence that you don't have to call speculative. 
They, they proved him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. The problem is, if you really believe that, how did he pull it off by being the most manipulative person any of us have ever imagined? Most of us can't even imagine a person like this. You bring it up yourself. In fact, I think everybody has so far mentioned it. How, did, how can you even think like this? Well, the truth is, he's not right. He's really not right. But he knows how to survive very well in this world. And he picked somebody who he knew he could present because he presents himself to everybody as this great salesman. So why couldn't he be able to sell her? He's handsome. He's rich. He loves kids. At least there was no evidence of him ever being tough on the kids even, other than the fact that he may have made them do more skiing than they wanted to do. You know? Jim, but, when, when, Jim, when you watch a trial like this, um, I know like when I watch news, COE can attest to this. I'm always screaming at the TV. Horrible sentence here. Horrible writing there. Terrible shot here. Um, do you do you kind of play along and say, "Well, I, sh I would have done this. I would have done that." Um, this well, is a good I, argument. This is a bad argument. I try to resist it because I actually have a lot of respect for John Schoenhorn. But it is true that um, Audrey, his partner in this case, to the point made earlier, and by the way, she was the last president of the Connecticut Criminal Defense Lawyers Association. Uh, she's very highly regarded, and she does come across well. So there may have been a point to having a female doing it, because I think you really have to have the jury feel that you feel what they feel, not argue against what they're feeling. You, you don't win an argument by just talking about point B. People are at point A. You got to bring them to point B. You can only get them there if you start at point A. As soon as you jump into point B and say, hey, point B, it's the best, it's the best, you've lost. You got to start with point A and work them slowly so they get themselves to point B. You can't just say, hey, this is the darn law. You better find beyond a reasonable doubt. Otherwise, you got to go my way. It's just, it's almost an invitation to do it the other way. So the answer to your question is, I tried to resist very much, and it was hard. And yeah. Jim, because you're the only attorney, I need you to answer this one, too. Uh, why didn't the contempt issue remain in the trial um, since it could have affected the outcome if in the media? I thought she, she's going to bring they're going to bring up the contempt issue separately. But for those who are just tuning in, it had to do with bringing up some sort of uh, sealed document in court that someone who knew Jennifer Farber was able to point out. Uh, can you explain this a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, the judge, who I, I've already said is so patient and all that, he's very feeling responsible. And when he sees something like that in his courtroom, he feels he's got to do something. I had said when he first did that, I said, geez, he doesn't want to have this anywhere near this trial. And 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 he he changed his mind a couple of days later. And clearly, it's way better to get it not touching this trial. That contempt is really to vindicate the rules of law and the sense of order it's not to mess up this trial. So it really is great that it's now been punted, different judge, different lawyer, you know, and I thought the judge handled that very well. Hmm. Uh, this is an interesting question for Lisa. Since the jury is human, yes, they are, no, uh, no animals that we know of on this jury. The fact that she was cheating with him will weigh heavy on the verdict, that she was cheating will weigh heavy, even though it shouldn't. What about that aspect? Again, um, you can't, as much as you tell the jury to follow the evidence, they are human beings and they are going to judge this woman, aren't they? Absolutely, they are. 
And it's not just Jennifer, it's the children um, and the fact that they were left without their mother. And they still have not yet been able to have full closure because we don't know where she is. And, and so all of that, and yes, they have to listen to it and they have to, you know, we're human beings. You can't turn off that emotion, that empathy, um, that compassion for the victim's family. And, and no matter what, again, you know, I, I just think that Michelle, she, she did not do herself any favors throughout this trial. Not that, not that she should, but she's not an innocent victim, I don't think, in this either. Um, I don't buy that either. Um, so again, you know, this is where Jim and I disagree a little bit and that's great. That's why you have, you know, competing things on it. Um, but you can't take that human aspect out of a juror ever. Uh, this is why the, this is my lovely wife, the notorious COE. She, she gave herself this name and someone else did, but she's, she's co-opted it now she loves it and i like it um but this is why she jim my wife could definitely uh duel uh with you as an attorney even though she's not an attorney but everyone in her family is <laughs> except space coast my feelings and heart and instincts would vote guilty but as a juror legally based solely on hard hard evidence presented is there beyond reasonable doubt for conspiracy i don't know classic coe she lays it all out and then says I have no idea. So she can't be wrong. She can't be right. Uh, look, I'm happy I'm not a juror. There, there you go. She is uh, she's being honest there. Bobby McDonald. Um, so John Schoenhorn, he, he's kind of in a tricky place here, but he ultimately concedes that Fotis Dulos, he was kind of tiptoeing around it, but then he goes, uh, he is responsible, but Michelle had no idea. Uh, and major questions still remain. It's still unclear what happened. Um, he he had to do a job of, you know, they're this couple, and she was cheating on uh, him, on 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 uh, Jennifer with him, and he, he has to couple them together, meaning Michelle and Fotis, but at the same time, he's got to kind of peel them apart. Um, I don't know if you caught all the closings, but I'm wondering if you thought, John Schoenhorn did a good enough job to say, look, she was with him. He did do this. She had no clue. Well, again, uh, not an attorney, and I certainly don't play one on TV, but, uh, you know, Jim knows very well that he had a job to do here today, and and he had to work with what he had. And whether he had a lot or he had a little, he still got to get up, get his tap shoes on, and figure out, you know, how he wants to address uh, the jury at the moment that he had to address them. You know, you got to order off the menu that's in front of you at the time. So you've got to bring everything that you have in front of you, all the tools in your toolbox, uh, and go with your best shot uh, within the time limit that the judge was allowing for this case. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. You know, this case and watching the attorneys here, watching the testimony of the investigators has allowed us real time to allow our students to follow this case and really see how this stuff goes on. And, and, you know, we we have our lectures at school and we have our book work and all this other stuff. But here's an opportunity, which we don't normally get in Connecticut with the cameras, for our students to see what's going on, how to argue a case, how to testify in a case. You know, we try to make things as realistic as possible in school. But until you're seeing it in real life or spending some time in a courtroom, um, you know, I've been there as an agent. I've been there as a probation officer. I've seen both sides of the aisle, how you argue a case. 
uh, as Jim said before about the demeanor of the judge. You know, you're arguing cases, you're not arguing with people. And we really need to be able to show that to our students that you go in and argue your case and you all at the end of this whole thing, shake hands and move on because there'll be another case down the road. So for our purposes at school, this has been a great teaching tool, albeit that you've got you know, victims in this case and, and people who are going through a tough time. So we try to balance both of those uh, areas and, and be able to utilize this as a teaching tool for our, uh, our students in our criminal justice program. I have uh, said it once. I'll say it again. Space Coast, you see his uh, mug right there. He is the smartest member of the COE's family. Uh, he is now he he uh, got the highest score in the LSAT, did not go to law school, but he is now deemed chief legal counsel of STS, chief legal counsel of STS. And uh, Jim, we give him a day. He'll be able to argue with me, with you. Uh, so will my wife, for that matter. Um, yeah, we went over this one, misbelieving, and we think that uh, it could be different. But let's take a listen um, this is now the state presenting their closing arguments. We'll run through that, get some final thoughts and wrap this up as we await deliberations. But here's the state. Uh, let's take a listen. I pose this question to you. Do any of you doubt that Fotis Dulos is responsible for the death of his wife? Do any of you doubt that he was in New Canaan on May 24th, 2019, murdering his wife? How else would he have had her bloody bra her bloody shirt, blood all over the bags, his DNA in a glove found inside the trash, how? And so when the defense suggests that to you, I suggest that's not reasonable. And so once you conclude that Mr. Dulos is responsible for the death of his wife, you then go to the next questions, which are, is this defendant legally responsible for her death? Is this defendant legally responsible for conspiring to tamper with evidence, for acting as an accessory to tamper with evidence? Was the defendant motivated to harm Jennifer Dulos? I want you to make no mistake about this. This defendant hated Jennifer Dulos. Um, Jim, your thoughts on that, and then I'll give my thoughts. Well, he just took advantage of the point I was just making about Schoenhorn because he distanced himself and the prosecutor jumped on it. <clears throat> he distanced himself by suggesting to the jury, like he's somehow defending Fotis. Like, who wants to defend Fotis? Oh, you never know. You know, it's all speculation. Oh, come on. Let's just at least concede that. He killed her. He's a horrible guy. Uh, but by doing that, he opened himself up for this. Do any of you doubt that? He was doing what I suggest that I did to the prosecution in my Wells Fargo case. Look, if the lawyer is trying to get you to believe something you know isn't true, keep that in mind for everything else out of that mouth. So here, I thought he was really strong when he added, you'll see her animus. And frankly, I don't think anybody who ever saw her in her life saw her as having animus and had some of her friends who represented her, I thought, pretty well. But if you only look at those things he pointed up and out of context, it's a very strong case. Manipulator, two years of torture, better go to therapy. You know, I don't know why going to therapy is a problem, but <laughs> it seems to me that she's trying to make things work, you know, but 
you know, she did. She just didn't know the FOTUS that we all came to know because we only heard of FOTUS when we heard that his wife is suddenly missing, and then we start seeing all this other stuff, you know. So everybody here, anybody who ever heard of FOTUS started hearing about him after the police found all this incredibly resourceful evidence. And everybody except Michelle. And when she sat there, you actually left. See, I thought more people were going to pay attention to her struggle in those eight hours because I thought you just looking at her, if you start from the proposition, she doesn't know this guy to possibly do anything like this. And then, of course, she's realizing, oh, my God, he could do stuff like this. That's why I say she would testify against him in a heartbeat, even deal or no deal. She's like, this is horrible. She doesn't want that woman dead. But just enough. If you go around pick and choose, I, I told people, I don't know anybody who can't get convicted of a crime. It doesn't divide up into good people and bad people. We all need checks and balances on ourselves because we want what we want, and we're not always seeing everybody's point of view. So when you just pick all those things, it was he did a nice job there. Yeah. Um, KCL brings up, this is actually a very interesting comment. KCL is all over a lot of trials. Um, another thing that makes me question, uh, Michelle's innocence, Lisa Daddio, is that in Fotis's suicide note, he said both he and Michelle are innocent. Uh, mm. that is something an investigator might pick out. Makes me think she's more likely guilty based on that alone. And it's what Jim was just saying. If you're saying some, something isn't something, then it probably is. Um, and here he's including uh, both of them. Um, is that a problem? Will the jury pick up on this, do you think? I think so. Um, you know, there's going to be at least one person on the, on, on the jury that's going to bring that point up. You know, will all six of them remember after all these days of trial? I mean, think about it. Imagine being in that courtroom day in and day out and being presented with so much physical and testimonial evidence and then you have the emotional side and then you see the family and then you see all of these things it's impossible impossible to retain all of that as a normal person um never mind sitting in a juror's box so there will be somebody that will probably bring that up at least one and and so you know whether or not that's enough for people to be like well what did he exactly mean by that um who knows um, Bobby, let me run through some of the uh, closing arguments from the state here. By the way, it's opening statements, closing arguments. That's a news guy in me. I get yelled at if I ever mess that up in the news days. Um, so uh, the state goes on to say that Michelle actively tampered with evidence, that she, in fact, assisted with the cleanup, that the three and a half hours photos, photos never leaves the house. Um, he, he, he leaves it, uh, he never leaves an empty house. He's there for three and a half hours. So what's he doing? Uh, and then goes on to say, uh, the state does that. That's a reasonable amount of time to prepare garbage bags and that Michelle Traconis's DNA was found on those bags, which were eventually dumped throughout uh, the city of Hartford. Traconis initially tells police she took two or three trips that day. Then it's five trips. Um, Bobby, I'll stop it right there. Uh, I had to get had you on last time and we were looking at inconsistencies in her statement. Um, again, it's an investigative tactic. That's what detectives do. That's what law enforcement does. Will the jury also see 
these inconsistencies in her statements as uh, pointing to guilt? Well, I think inconsistencies are a huge problem for her in this case. You know, um, nothing spoils the uh, story uh, like the arrival of an eyewitness, <laughs> Mark Twain once said. And, and obviously she was involved in this and the fact that or she's involved in something here and the fact that her story is changing uh, as Lisa just said, all six jurors may not pick up on that, but somebody in that jury pool is going to pick up on it and they're going to run with that aspect. And someone else is, this is just my opinion, uh, someone else is going to pick up on the fact that they went to all those garbage cans on Albany Avenue in Hartford. You know, why did they do that? My garbage is being picked up in the morning and I'm just going to put it outside of my garage here tonight. I'm not running to the dumpster down at the 7-Eleven to get rid of anything. So there's a lot of things here that are just odd um, that maybe one or two of those don't point to guilt in this case but when you start adding up things that are odd is that going to allow those jurors to pick up on uh, beyond a reasonable doubt don't know um and, and it depends on what those deliberations are that go on in that room and who presents a leading force of the jury uh whether it's the four person or somebody else who's got a large personality or a great memory or uh you know is articulate in the way that they want to argue a point that they want to bring up in that room so i think we've got a lot of variables here i think we've got a lot of variables in the story that she projected uh over the course of time and it'll be interesting to see what they pick up on uh, most and what they end up chewing on yeah. And uh, detectives always talk about putting together the pieces of the puzzle and it's like putting together the evidence. And one of the things, uh, Lisa, Daddy, and I promise we'll start to wrap in a moment. Um, the the state, Michelle Manning, went on to say is Fotis Dulos was carrying out this alleged plan to murder uh, Jennifer Dulos. Michelle Traconis is manipulating his phone. So it looks like he's taking a shower. So it looks like he's in his office. So it looks like he's answering his calls. Uh all this is starting to add up in this uh, in the state closing argument. Is it now that we're we're going through it point by point here? Um, I don't know. I'm starting to think maybe you do get a conviction um, when when you hash out all the points. What do you think? Well, and it goes back to she isn't stupid, right? And, and she and in fact, I think it's just the opposite. Um, there's a part of me that wonders if she's just like he is. And and that being the narcissistic, the sociopath, the, you know, she's not any angel either. So, um, and it's not just because of the whole cheating thing. I mean, it, it, it's more than that. Um, that has come out about her character and, you know, just the type of person she is. And so, yeah, you have to look at everything. And Bobby knows this as well. I mean, we always tell our students about putting the pieces together. And that's how you solve a case. And it's everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Even things that hurt your case, you have to include. That's part of your puzzle pieces. You have to disclose that. Things such as purposely altering his digital ID on his phone regarding exactly what you just mentioned, Joel. Why? If she is innocent of anything, you know, that's there's just so much of this stuff in this case. Yeah, I start to have that self-doubt. Maybe maybe they will convict. Maybe they won't convict. Um, Jim, they wrap this up and put a bow on it. The state does by saying that Michelle Traconis and Fotis Dulos conspired to murder the woman that was standing 
Shout out to Dwayne Harris. Look at that. Uh, Dwayne, I think you're having a rough night. Shout out to the family. I hope you guys are all well and uh, only good things. But uh, the prosecutor says that Traconis and Fotis Dulos conspired to murder the woman that was standing in their way. The motive was frustration for Fotis of not seeing the kids for a year and a half. Michelle Traconis, sick of it, too. Um, That's a motive as old in time, which is uh, love, lust children um they're kind of hitting them where it hurts um the state is i don't know now that i'm reading the state side maybe we get a conviction did they do a good job or a great job or a decent job of wrapping up their case today the state well i think when you start from their point of view which that's what they have to do they did a very good job because you can take all those points every single point he made, well, I don't know about every single one, almost all of them were valid in and of themselves. And if you just line them up, that's the straight line where it goes. So in that regard, he did a really good job. I thought the first prosecutor did an even better job, but they both did very good jobs. And I think if you look at it that point of way, that point of view, without doing the presumption of innocence, it's over. If you do the presumption of innocence and you instead focus as you legally supposed to focus on her and her mind. And I think it is possible. I mean, it's possible that, you know, she's, uh, you know, this maniacal person herself. I guess the four of us could be any one of us. I mean, what the heck? You know, mm-hmm. you do have to look at somebody's life and her life and the people that your hairdresser and a really good friend. You just got a sense from those people. She's just a sweet, normal person. I think she was selected by the maniac because of that. And I, that's why I say now out of the $8.1 billion, she's the last one who would ever find out that he could actually kill somebody, much less the father of these five kids. So, But the idea that, oh, good, now we can just go and be happy because we don't have to deal with her anymore – but she's going to be taking care of these five kids who, whose mother is gone. It's See, to me, it's unimaginable. But when you only look at it from Fotis's point of view, which is sort of what the cops ended up doing, uh, you really just want to jump her right in there because we don't have Fotis to beat up on. We got to beat up on somebody. And people here have mentioned it a number of times. We really need to vindicate this poor woman and her kids and her mother. It's like, of course we need to, but that you don't do it by just not giving Michelle, who I actually believe, just my own personal belief, is his the last legacy of his life. That, oh, I'll mess her up, too, for life. Uh, although I, I was very impressed by that observation that his suicide note includes himself, which obviously means it's totally not credible. It means nothing. Um. I'm looking at Mitzi Blankenship. She says that John Schoenhorn yelled too much. And these are the things that the jury is thinking, I think, uh, to add to this, uh, to that, Bobby. I mean, uh, was Michelle Traconis afraid of photos? And that's why she went along. Uh, the defense is praying that the jury is asking this question, that she was yeah, that, scared. That, that, and- that could very well be. I mean, as as Jim just said, you know, uh, and we've said a couple of times tonight, uh, that's that's probably in the equation here at some point. Uh, is it going to be believable for the jury based upon what they've seen in the course of the trial? You know, if you haven't watched every minute of the trial, 
and you're missing a snippet here and there, they've been in that courtroom from start to finish, and they're going to be chewing on everything that went on in and only in that courtroom. That that's a, a that's a game within a game there. That the evidence, the arguments, the discussion, the body language, the eye contact, they've had a chance from the angle of the jury box to see what's been going on there. So they've had the luxury, um, unlike, unlike, like I said, unless you watched every second of the trial, which I was not able to do, but you, they've got a different vibe. They've got a different feel. They were able to put different statements and different pieces of evidence and different body language observations together and now take that into that jury room. So again, they're, we're, we're able to Monday morning quarterback out here on all the different things that have been going on, but they're in there right now, or, or maybe not for the evening, but, but we'll be in there first thing in the morning chewing on this and they'll be spitting something out for us in, in some time with either yay or nay. Mm. Uh, Shy Gal says, I believe Fotis used Michelle. We're doing the Shanna Gardner case out of Jacksonville, another murder for hire. She was married to a Microsoft executive, and then her new husband is a guy that you would not expect her to be married to, and everyone thinks that she used him to get the murder-for-hire plot done. Um, so uh, it does happen often, um, and we see it play out in courts of law. Only watch closing arguments in STS. I, I vote guilty on all charges. Uh, Color Michelle could be a juror. juror. Um, Jim, to you, a couple of very quick last questions. The defense... Uh, witnesses. Uh, you had someone who came on who was um, testifying about how language affects the brain. You had um, a divorce attorney, uh, Michael Rose, a couple of people that attended a party. Were these? And by the way, Jennifer's mother, uh, Gloria Farber, was the final witness for the state, which I think was powerful. But were these defense witnesses impactful, do you think, or uh, not? didn't hold much water? Well, I thought they were helpful because they uh, they didn't get in the fight. They really just were teaching. Uh, the, the second one had never been a witness in her life. Uh, she's been studying this stuff for 30 years, but she's never been a witness. And the first one, uh, you know, she's just really trying to teach us something. And if you're not looking at her, either one of them as, ah, they're on this side and they're on this side, and just listen to what they had to say, that should persuade all of the jurors of the common sense stuff that they spent their life getting science to back up. We all know, once you've heard what they were tell telling us, how could we not know this? I love that duck, you know, with the, the, the paddling furiously under the water, the, the, the person who was talking about multilingual people. They look, when they're in the foreign language, like they're just skimming along. But in fact, they're paddling like crazy because they're trying to process in a different language and their brain processes in a different language and different sentence structure, all that stuff. Well, of course, as soon as you hear it, that's common sense. Uh, but so I thought they added, I thought the best witness was her friend because her friend who really from Argentina, similar lives, has a similar daughter. They love each other because they have their daughters and they love their daughters and they love skiing and, you know, they love sports and they're sophisticated and all that. I thought the way she occasionally displayed the very thing that the second expert was talking about, how she you know, got a little jumbled up occasionally when she was trying to perform in English, because you can tell Spanish is her first language. So I thought, and the way she came across very cooperative, not the slightest bit fighting on defense, on cross-examination. I thought she came across well, and was a good surrogate 
rather than put Michelle up there. So it doesn't matter if, in fact, the prosecutors did what we all watched. They put all these little dots together in a powerful way. If the jury doesn't stick with the presumption of innocence, Michelle's got no chance. If they do and they focus on the only thing that really it comes down to her frame of mind and her experience, she's got a, a real chance. Uh Robert Bobby McDonald, you get a real Bobby hat from uh, the UK if you're a Secret Service agent, and that's what he was for 20 years, protecting the president of the United States and other dignitaries uh, upon retirement. He worked for the NBA. Now he's at the University of New Haven teaching. Bobby, final predictions here. How many days of deliberations, and uh, is it guilty on all counts or some counts or no counts? Well, I'm surprised you got me to make a prediction earlier. I'll stick with it five days, uh, and I don't think it's on all counts. Wow. And we will not be doing a show on this for five days. Trust me, because I will not make it. <laughs> but we will cover it once we get uh, a verdict back, if we do get a verdict. And uh, hopefully they don't have to redo this whole thing if it's hung for some reason. Uh, Lisa Daddio, she is a retired police lieutenant with the New Haven Police Department. She helped solve the Annie Lay case, very famous case, if you haven't heard about it google it it's on the google uh since retiring from the new haven pd back in 2012 she too is working at the university of new haven same thing lisa how many days are they out deliberating guilty on all counts some counts or no counts uh, i'm going to agree with bobby i just think they're going to come back a little bit sooner than five days um i don't know I, i'm my guess is three and um it's going to be guilty on some, not all. And, you know, something that we tend to lose sight on, and, and I'll be quick about this, is we only have the information that was presented to us, right? So the jury, the attorneys, um, well, they'll have more, but not everything that came up in this investigation can be heard. And there's always all this extra stuff that goes on that the investigators have. And let's face it, we know there are people out there that know more than maybe what they said or people that know a lot more that did not come forward. And so that's a definite challenge um, that we face in this. So we only can go by what the investigators put. And so we have to find guilt on or not based upon the evidence that was presented. So there's always a lot more to this stuff that will come out probably somewhere along the line. Um, but the jury will do what is right. Uh, that's what our system is. So, um, yeah, thoughts and prayers are actually with Jennifer and her family. Um, just tough, tough case. Yeah. Uh, it's, the, the mom has to be reeling tonight and she's uh, 88 years old. So our thoughts are with her. The notorious COE. Yes. The jurors are the real MVPs in this case. They have a lot to consider after a long trial. I feel for them. Um, I feel for anyone that's got to sit through that many weeks of uh, testimony. Stark's got it right here. A glass of wine and STS equals a great night. Jim Bergen. Jim, these are the things I wonder about. You spell your last name with two N's your whole life. You have to be like Bergen, B-E-R-G-E-N-N. -N. Does that irritate you after a while? No, because it's true. It's only my family strain. Everybody who's got it spelled like that. I am related to. <laughs> really? There you go. Yeah. There my great grandfather go. changed it from Tollefson to Bergen with two ends for whatever reason. I have, you know, but so these at least the, I know all the, all my relatives somewhere. There you go. This is, these are the things that I wonder about. I once worked, believe it or not, in West Palm beach, Florida, 
there's a photographer there named Joel Waldman, my same name, but with two N's. So uh, I would ask him the same question. You know, W-A-L-D-M-A-N-N. Anyway, it's too late for my insanity right now. Uh, CVS just gifted 10 Surviving the Survivor memberships. Jim Bergen, what do you have to know about him? He's with Shipman and Goodwin, a law firm. He's a trial attorney. He's been doing it for 40 years. Jim, number of days of deliberation, guilty on all counts, some counts, no counts. Your final thoughts. Well, if if I'm forced to bet, I got the money and I got to drop it somewhere. I put it on Friday. And I put it on uh, the count of hindering. There you go. Uh, I'm going to revise mine. I think I said four or five days, but I think juries are anxious. I'm going to go with uh, tomorrow's Wednesday. I'm going to say Thursday. They're going to just they're going to have to get it done with. If not tomorrow, but we will see. We will be monitoring this. And tomorrow we're doing a show on Shanna Gardner. And on Thursday, I believe I got to talk to Meve Moe and Steve Cohen. Shout out to the great Steve Cohen. Uh, maybe uh, another Charlie Adelson show. Verdict Watch at Surviving the Survivor Trials. The best trials in true crime. Love you, America. Love you. Connecticut. Gotta love Connecticut. And justice for Jennifer Barber Duos. See you tomorrow. Final seconds of the game, a chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.